We are in a series called Kingdom Mind and where we're trying to figure out what do we do with our thoughts? How do we keep our thoughts focused on the things of God each and every time as part of this series? We've been reading out of Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. I'll read it again. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, on the truths of God, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. We know that, if you've been part of this series, you know that if you're here for the first time, that that makes sense, that if you are a believer in Christ, that we are to think of the things of God, think of the truths of God, the realities of heaven, but we also recognize there are things of this world. So we are told to set our sights on and, and get our thoughts fixed on the truths of God, but yes, there are tons of things that steal our thoughts. In fact, I would say not just steal our thoughts, that distract us, where we can be focused on the things of God, and then we get distracted by the things of this world. If you know anything about my family, you know I have three kids and a dog. The dog's a whole other story. I won't go into it. shared some of that last week. But when we go on walks, my kids love to be the one that holds the leash. Now, we don't have sidewalks in our neighborhood, so I, I get a little nervous between like kids running out in the street, the dog running out in the street, because Becky and I kind of like just do this whenever we go on walks. It's like, no, 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 more this side. No, 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 more this side. But they love to walk the dog. So oftentimes my youngest is the one that really wants to. So we give her the leash. She's four years old. So we give Collins the leash with Cooper and they start walking and things are fine until Cooper sees something else. As soon as Cooper sees another dog, it's this with Collins. All the way over here. And so then we, Becky and I have to, wait, 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 no, no, no. You, you've got to hold on to the dog. You got to hang on to him. And then she'll be walking Cooper again. And there'll be something else that Cooper sees. And so then she gets dragged this way. This poor four-year-old girl is just getting dragged all over the place because of this dog. That's what happens with our thoughts. That's a great picture of distraction where I'm focusing on the things of God and I'm, and I'm right there in line with them and I'm paying attention to the truths of God. And then I get dragged over here because of realities of life. The things of this world have a way of dragging us away and distracting us and pulling us every which way, be it our emotions, be it us a relationship, a situation in our family or in our community or in our world. We see something on the news. Somebody says something on Facebook. All the while, we're just getting dragged around and distracted by what God is saying. No, no, pay attention to me. Keep your eyes here. Focus on me. Keep your hearts here. Keep your thoughts with me instead of being distracted. So that's what I want us to pay attention to is the distractions. We are to keep our thoughts on the truths of God, not the things of this world. But it's so easy to be distracted by the things of this world. So there's a story that we're told and that we get at least to, to peer into in Luke chapter 10. That's where we'll be the rest of this morning. Luke chapter 10, there's a great story, and the, the word I want you to look for is the word distraction. Pay attention, see if you can find it, see it, and pick up on the theme of distraction, then we're going to talk through it. Here's the story. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. As Jesus and, his, and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was, say it with me, she was distracted. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. 
She came to Jesus. Let me just give context here. Martha goes to Jesus, the claimed Messiah, son of God. So just keep that in mind as you hear what she tells Jesus. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Now, I'm just saying, like, I don't feel like I have the right to tell Jesus too many things. And Martha goes to Jesus with all the confidence and all the boldness in the world, maybe of all the universe, and says, Lord, listen here. Don't you see what's happening here? My sister, lazy brat, is sitting at your feet. Well, I'm the one that's stuck to do everything else. Tell me, Jesus, doesn't this seem, and oh, I love that she used this word because I hear it in my house all the time, unfair. Jesus, this is so unfair. Now, I don't want you to just recognize that this is unfair. Jesus, let me tell you what you're going to do. You're going to tell my sister to come and help me. Like, that's the scene. (laughs) And Mary had to have been sitting there like, Awkward. (laughs) Jesus had to have just smiled and let her finish her little rant. And then he says this. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha. Do you hear the compassion there? There's not scolding. There's not judgment. He's not going to be quick to to blow her off. He's going to give her a, a, a teachable moment. He sees it as a teachable moment. But he says, my dear Martha. You are worried and upset over all of these details, or we might say the things of this world. Verse 42, but there is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, don't mishear me as we talk through this story. It's a great story and pretty famous story within Scripture as well. I don't want you to mishear me. This is not oh, don't be like Martha. It's it's not a Martha versus Mary. So we don't want to go down that track. Like, don't miss what Martha did here. In fact, it was Martha, according to the scripture, that actually invited Jesus into their home. As far as we know, Mary didn't have anything to do with that. So Martha's the one that said to Jesus, like, hey, why don't you come into our home? We would love to have you a guest in our home. Let me cook for you. We would love to serve not just you. It says a big meal, a big dinner. So it's not just Jesus. It's all of his disciples too. So Martha, with humility in the heart of a servant, says, Jesus, I want you in my home. Please let us serve you. So she invites Jesus into the home. And not only that, she's the one that's taking care of not just Jesus, but all of the disciples as well. I mean, somebody has to cook dinner, right? (laughs) If you invite Jesus into your home and say, let me cook for you, let me feed you, let me take care of you and your disciples, like somebody has to have the maturity and the responsibility to get these things done. So by no means should we fault Martha for what she's doing. No, she is serving Jesus. She's inviting Jesus and his followers into their home. She is, is providing food and a meal, a big meal, for Jesus and his followers. So like, let's not say, oh, don't be a Martha. No, let's be a Martha. That's fantastic to invite Jesus in and to serve him. But there is something she struggles with here. It's the word we all said. She got distracted. 
distracted. Distracted by actually something that was very good, such that she was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. Distracted. See, that's the part that things start to fall apart. And I'd say the same is true for us, where we have great intentions, great ideas, great motives. Our heart can be in the right place, focusing on Jesus, the things of heaven, the realities and truths of God, yet we get distracted by all the things around us. And that's what happened to Martha. She got distracted. Now, let me just say this real quick, too. This is one of the two, two main strategies the devil will use against you. The entire job of the devil, of Satan, is to pull you away from Jesus at all costs, whatever it takes. And two of his main ones, he's got multiple strategies, that's another sermon, but two of his main ones are lies and distractions. He will tell you lies and he will distract you. So here she is distracted and no longer is she focusing on Jesus. All of a sudden Martha is distracted and she's focusing on all the things that have to get done around her, all the preparations and all the details. Now, notice how this spirals and even escalates. She starts out with a great heart, a great intention that we would assume since she's inviting Jesus into their home and wants to serve them and feed them. But then she gets distracted. Notice where the distraction takes her. She gets distracted, and then Jesus even calls it out. He labels it two ways. She says, dear, Jesus said, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset. So her distraction led to being worried. I don't have enough time to finish all the stuff. I'm not going to be able to get it done by myself. I have Jesus and his disciples, and I've promised something I don't think I can deliver in the amount of time if it's just me doing it. So her distraction now turned into worry. Her worry escalated into being upset to the point where she marches over to Jesus and says, Jesus, don't you see what's happening? It's so unfair. Tell her to help me. So we've gone from distracted to worried to now upset. And along the way, her eyes were taken off Jesus. Her distraction kept her from Jesus. Her distractions caused her to be emotionally wound up and to be in a place where she was no longer concerned with Jesus, but she became concerned about the things that needed to get done. Huge tension for us, right? And, and we're talking specifically within a faith context, but if we even broaden that out, that's a tension we face with all kinds of aspects of our life. Here's what has to get done Here's the realities of me trying to get it all done. Right, again, to Martha's point, like somebody had to make dinner. Somebody had to get this done. And, and so if we were to look at our lives and start taking account of the things of this world, like, well, I still have to work. I do need sleep, believe it or not. I have to eat at some point. I have relationships, like my friends, and I have my family. And if you have kids, you're parenting. If you're married, you have a spouse. And like you have things that have to get done. And this is not, it's not feasible, it's not realistic to go into each of our lives and say, well, take that out of your life, just say no to that, do less of this. It's like, no, I have to work and go to work so I can provide for my family. I can't do less of that, right? And so how do we manage that tension of, you know, these are like good things. Nothing Martha is doing is wrong and sinful. She's serving the Lord. Yet even that became a distraction. 
So how do we manage that tension of all the things, I'd even say all the good things, and then the realities? There's a word that I hear used quite often in trying to manage that tension of all the things that I need to do, I'm supposed to do, I'm expected to do, but the amount of time, the amount of resources, the amount of effort, the amount of energy that I have to accomplish them. Any ideas on the word? Starts with a B, balance. I hear that word often. Well, if I can just get better balance in my life, then things will start to work a little bit better. We start to say things like, I just need to to have better balance in my spiritual walk with Jesus. And once I have more balance, then my family will start to fall into place. And if I had a little bit more balance between work and home, like my home life and my work life would, would actually be a little bit better and even more productive. Here's my issue with balance. I have two major problems with balance. Here's the first one. In order for balance to actually work, things have to be exactly 50-50. So in order to have, let's talk outside of our faith life for a second, in order for there to be appropriate work and home balance, you have to have 50-50. So you work this many hours, So then you have to be home this many hours. Anything that is not 50-50 is by definition not balanced. That's hard, isn't it? If you think of your, your spiritual walk, let's talk faith again. I just need a little bit more time because you don't feel like it's very balanced. I'm doing all these other things. In my relationship with Jesus, Like there's not a lot of time there. So it's out of balance. So I just need more balance. But again, the reality is that's not plausible. So my first issue is it requires 50-50. The second issue I have with balance is it's not possible. (laughs) I mean, just start thinking through the necessities of your day. You have to sleep. Let's call it seven hours. Some of you are more or less than that. Let's just call it seven hours. Let's say you have a full-time job. That's at least eight hours. Do you have a family? Well, already, like we're already split up into thirds there. So do you have an equal, another eight-ish hours at home? I don't know about you, but that's not how it works in my family. In fact, when I get home from work, I have a solid two, maybe three hours before the kids start going to bed. That's way out of balance. So what's the solution? Because balancing and trying to obtain balance, I feel like you're trying to chase the impossible. No wonder we're always exhausted. Can you imagine trying to, and I say imagine, but we try to do this. Imagine walking on this tightrope of balance all day long and trying to keep your life completely in balance with everything equaling everything else perfectly. It's not going to happen and we get so discouraged and we get so guilty when it starts to tip over and maybe it even falls off. And then we're like, no, no, I just need more balance. I just need to try harder. So then we try harder to balance. And I'm telling you, it's not going to work. So I think there's another solution. I think we see it here. And Mary gives us a great example of this. Let me use my example of me coming home from work. I work. Like I said, I have like two, maybe three hours before our kids start going to bed. Way out of balance. So if you were to think of this ruler as the time spent, there's the amount of time that I have with my kids right after work. And here's all the other things from sleep and meetings and work and and me and Becky time Like all those things are here. So my time with my kids is way out of balance. No way that will ever hold up. You know what I can do though to keep everything upright? I can push just a little bit harder. That's still balanced, isn't it? Nothing's falling off. In fact, I have a lot of control over this. Like this is actually pretty stable because 
I'm pushing. I'm leaning in. So here's what that looks like in the context of me and my kids. When I come home, I'm all dead. I am intentional with that two to three hours. You want to go fishing? Fine. (laughs) If you were here a few weeks ago. You want to go ride bikes? Okay. You want to play on the Switch and play Super Smash Bros? Okay. Like, what are we going to do that's going to be intentional for this time? Because I don't have a lot of it, so I'm going to be intentional. You can say the same thing with your spouse. Man, we feel like we're just crossing by and just, there's so much to do, and she does this, and he does that. All right, so you don't have a lot of time together. Let's even call it that. I got to push a little bit harder. Oh, but we can still do it. Those date nights become super important. That time at home, get off your phones and talk to each other. It becomes super important to be intentional. Your relationship with Jesus. You're all here on a church. You're online being part of church. That's one hour out of your week. Man, that feels way out of balance. Let's see if we can do this. But if I push, wow. Are you being intentional with this one hour that you have today? That's why quiet times are so important. I don't have a lot of time. Be intentional. Now, the way to think of it is think quality over quantity. Balance will exhaust you and leave you distracted, worried, upset, and frustrated, just like Martha. So I would say, and what we see with Mary, is to fight distractions with intentionality. Fight distractions By pressing in the time that you do have, the time that you are spending, again, in all aspects of your life, but let's talk solely about Jesus for the rest rest of this. The time you do have with Jesus to pour into that relationship, be intentional, press in, lean in. Fight against the distractions with intentionality. And that's what Mary does. So let's focus on this next part of what Mary did. There's one sentence that tells us what Mary did. Most of the story is about Martha, but man, there's one great line here that talks about Mary. While Martha was getting worried, she was upset, she was frustrated. Verse 39, her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. That's intentionality. She did three very, very intentional things. The first part, it says, but Mary sat at the Lord's feet. She literally sat at the feet of Jesus. You've heard the phrase crisscross applesauce? You can't do that as well when you get older. Why do you tell kids crisscross applesauce? It's because you need them to stop for a second. Most of the time, especially in a school setting, kids are running around, they're doing all these different things, so they say, hey, hey, I need everybody to sit down. They sit down, and they're still just talking and talking. It's like, oh, crisscross applesauce. And all of a sudden, it's, Hum! and they start to listen, and they start to Pay attention. So sitting intentionally with Jesus, getting up is even harder than doing the crisscross applesauce. (laughs) But the moment you sit, there's an attentiveness. But know, know this, it's not just about being attentive. There's even that phrase, to sit at the feet of someone else, right? That shows authority. If you were to sit at someone's feet, the metaphor is you are looking to somebody as a mentor or as a teacher or as a leader or as a king or as a ruler. So for Mary, she is intentionally sitting at Jesus' feet to give him attention, but also to recognize their relationship. To say, you are my master. I am your servant. You are my teacher. 
I am your student. I am listening to you. We're going to talk about that in a second. But she is giving him attention, but also recognizing his authority. Psalm 46, verse 10. We've read this a lot through this kingdom-minded series. I want to show you something new in it. Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. Now, two aspects of this, in fact, actually two words. Here it's written in Hebrew. We obviously have it translated into English. Two of the Hebrew words, I'm going to teach you something here. Here's the first one, the be still phrase that we, we translate it as. The actual Hebrew word there is rafa. Hebrew words just sound better when you say them. Rafa. Here's what Rafa really means. To sink. What a great picture. To be still and know that God is God. The image there is to just sink before him. The second Hebrew word I want to show you is honor. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. So as we sink before our God, honor, the Hebrew word there is room, and it literally means to rise up or higher. What great visuals of we sink before our God so that he becomes higher. Here, Mary sinks at the feet of Jesus and he is raised up because she goes beneath him. It has everything to do with how we view our relationship with him. Martha Again, we're not knocking Martha, but she comes walking into the room, probably elevated, and Mary is sinking at Jesus' feet. We get low, we recognize whose feet we're sitting at, and we intentionally sit. You have to have time to intentionally sit. It's not going to be perfectly in balance. We've already talked through that. Right? If you grew up in the church, you've heard the phrase quiet time. I've already mentioned it once. It's so important. It doesn't have to be long. Again, it's less about the amount of time and it's more about the intentionality that you press into it. But to start your day sinking before the Lord, sitting at Jesus' feet, starting every day with, you're my master, I'm your servant. You're my teacher, I'm your student. You're my king. You start every day that way to be in his word and to sit and sink before God. So she intentionally sits. Then she intentionally listens. It says, Mary sat at Jesus' feet, listening to what he taught. She was listening. She wasn't doing a lot of the talking here. She listened. Now, you could probably think of people around you or in your life, maybe even how you would describe yourself as a good listener or a bad listener. We all know the bad listener people in our lives. Bad listeners, maybe again, you might even say, I'm not the best listener. Bad listeners are people that, that really aren't focused on the other person. I'm just thinking about what I'm going to say next. A bad listener is somebody that really doesn't take a lot of interest in the other person. I just want to wait till I can say something about me. That's an overgeneralization, but basically that would be a bad listener. A good listener, somebody that is paying more attention to the other person, is leaning in and focused, go back to the attentive of sitting down, but is listening and receiving what the other person is actually saying. Now, the good news, whether you're a good listener or a bad listener, the good news is it is a skill. Most people aren't just, ah, I'm a natural good listener. Now, some people's personalities might bend that way, but you have to learn to be a good listener. You have to practice listening and it can be practice, it can be learned, it is a skill that you can develop and grow in. 
So even if you're like, oh, I'm just a bad listener, this doesn't apply to me, it means actually it applies more to you because you're going to have to work a lot harder at this. Not an excuse. But she's listening. And I think one of the best ways to grow as a listener is learn to ask good questions. If you're asking questions, then you're giving the other person an opportunity to speak more truth into your life. So learn to ask good questions. I mean, that's, that applies in all areas of our life, but especially here in our relationship with Jesus. If we're intentionally listening, let's ask intentional questions. Let me give you a list. I want to walk through them with you. This is a great opportunity. Take a picture of these. We'll post them on social media afterwards today as well. Here's some great questions to ask God in the time that you're sitting with him. Notice how these are going to build on each other. You cannot ask these questions if you're multitasking and doing all these other things like Martha was. You have to stop and sit and focus if you want to even ask the question. So if you are going to ask the questions, what are you teaching me? What a great question. Here's the situation I'm in. Here's what I'm dealing with. Here's my problems. Here's my frustrations. What are you teaching me, God? What are you teaching me? How are you growing me? What's being produced in me? Think through the fruits of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Which of those are being produced in me right now? What is distracting me? What are the things of this world that have gotten a grip on me? Squirrel, and I've moved over here. My eyes were on you, but then something happened. Like, what are those? Let's call them out. There's the things of heaven and the things of this world. So what are the things of this world that are distracting me? How do you want to use me? How do you want to use me? I love asking this question. Like this should be a daily question. Like what meetings do I have today that God you want to use me in? What person are you going to have me interact with today that needs just an encouragement from me today? God, what situation are you going to put me in that you can be glorified through? God, how do you want to use me? And you could put today on every single one of these. What needs to change in me? I know I'm not perfect. I'm a work in progress. Philippians makes that, well, the entire scriptures make that very clear, especially in Philippians. I know I'm a work in progress, so what needs to change in me? Where am I wrestling? Where am I struggling? Goes into the next one. What sin is in my life? And yes, we live because of grace. As followers of Jesus and believers in him, we are saved by grace. But we shouldn't get used to the sin in our life. Like, in fact, that sin should become even uglier because we recognize the cost of grace. Jesus died on the cross. So am I aware of the sin that's in my life? What is my next step to deepen my faith? We've been using that phrase, that deep faith. Deep meaning I'm taking a step into the deep end. I can't touch the bottom. I become more dependent on Jesus. Jesus, what would it look like for me to take a step that makes me more dependent on you? And when you begin to just ask, just pick one of those questions. Begin to ask. But if you're going to ask it, you have to be listening. Now, does that mean you're going to hear the audible voice of God? I have never heard the audible voice of God, but I've heard the Holy Spirit prompt my heart. I've had other people speak truth into my life. And I'm like, that was weird. I just was praying about this. As you study through scripture, you'll, you'll resonate with his word. We're gonna talk about that next. If you're gonna ask the question, be ready to listen. Hebrews chapter two, verse one tells us this about listening. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard. Why? Or we may drift away from it. Or we may drift away from it. That always applies. I mean, this was written a long time ago, but I think we could agree this is even just as imperative now, that we would listen to the truth of God. We would be sitting at his feet, listening from him. Because if we don't, 
we are going to quickly be distracted by the things of this world. And our thoughts that once were focused on the truths of God have now been stolen and distracted by all the things around us. So we have to listen to him or else we will be distracted. We will drift away. Notice the third thing that she intentionally does. So she intentionally sat at Jesus' feet, listening to what he taught. She was intentionally learning. I would say the same to you. Intentionally learn. This conversation that Jesus was having with Mary, I wish we knew what it was. Like, I wish there was a whole other chapter of, and here's what Jesus was teaching Mary. I wish we had that, but we don't. All we know is that he was teaching her this wasn't a how was your day, Mary? Oh, that's great. Let me tell you about my day. This was not just a everyday conversation. No, it says that she was being taught by him. Jesus was teaching her. It's so important we don't miss that. Because we sit at Jesus' feet, recognizing his authority over us. We listen, we ask questions, and then we listen some more to the truth of him. But all with the point of learning. Are we willing to be taught by Jesus? I'm going to make you go way back to school here for a second. If you were sitting in math class and your teacher drew this on the board and said, find the area of the circle. Do any of you actually remember how to do this? Anybody? Shout it out if you know. What's the area? Area equals? Pi R squared. That's right. I'm impressed. Pi R squared. I'll be uh, super honest. I had no clue that was the answer. I had to Google it, and then I wasn't 100% sure, so I Googled it multiple times and then asked a math teacher. I was like, this is right. I don't want to say this on a Sunday and be wrong. That's super embarrassing. But that's it. If you wanted to find the area of the circle, it's area equals pi r squared. Now, we would not naturally know that. Like, no one would naturally know that. We have to learn that from a teacher. Any of those that, that actually knew that, you learned that somewhere. I wanted to learn that, so I had to go and, and find it. I had to discover it. And this is a part of our faith that we miss sometimes, that we cannot just be expected to know everything. So what do we do? We intentionally learn. We listen, but we allow Jesus to teach us the truth. The truth doesn't always come naturally to us. So we need to listen to the one, be taught by the one who not only knows the truth, but is the truth. Jesus' words, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if we're going to learn, let's learn from him. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. Let me read this. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us. Teach us what? To teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects, it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people. That's you and me. To prepare and equip his people to do every good work. We have to be taught. We have to be willing to learn. We learn all kinds of other things in life. We learn to do math. We learn to drive. We learn to cook. We learn to deal with relationships. We learn to conflict have conflict resolution. We have to be taught all kinds of things. In our faith, can we allow our hearts to be taught by the Holy Spirit through his word, through studying his word, through being part of groups where you're studying God's word? But we have to be intentional about it, to allow our hearts to to be taught by him. Because that's how we keep our thoughts focused on the things of God. To intentionally sit 
Meaning we have to take time to do that. You cannot multitask while sitting, really. <laughs> you can't sit while doing all these other things. You have to sit and be focused and attentive, recognizing his authority over you. You have to be intentional about listening and asking questions and receiving from him with the intent of learning. To learn what's right and wrong, to learn to know how to love, to learn to surrender, to learn what it means to live by grace, to learn what it means to forgive, to learn what it means to follow him, to learn what it means to serve him. It's constant that we learn. We have to learn by him. Again, this is not a don't be a Martha and be a Mary. Martha brought a lot to the table. She invited Jesus over. She was getting things done in the name of Jesus. She was serving. She was doing great. It's not one or the other. In fact, it'd really be both, that we would have maybe the, the hands of Martha but the heart of Mary. Don't get so caught up on the things of this world, though. In fact, generally speaking, most of Christianity is known by our actions, the good and the bad. Let's focus on the good for a moment. That Christians do a lot of good things, a lot of good for other people. We love well but you know what I wish we were known more for? Because I know a lot of non-believers that also do a lot of good things in the world that maybe even serve more than I do. So what I wish we as, as believers of Jesus would be known for, what really sets us apart as Christians is not the, the fact that we are nice people doing nice things. No, what sets us apart as being Christians is that we sit at the feet of Jesus. Nobody else does that. Just believers in him. We're the only, a lot of people do good things. A lot of people do nice things. A lot of people serve. We're the only ones that sit intentionally at the feet of Jesus. We're the only ones that intentionally listen to Jesus. We're the only ones that learn from Jesus. And I would pray that others would do that as well. But that has to start with us and our hearts. So as you sit before Jesus, could we ask ourselves this question? I want you to put yourself maybe in in the blanks of what Jesus said. Remember what he said to Martha? My dear Martha, I want you to put your name in there. My dear Brian, you are worried and upset and frustrated and distracted and concerned over what right now? What is that for you? How would you fill in that blank? Because then Jesus will turn back to you and say, but Brian, there is only one thing worth being concerned about. And it's him. Each and every time. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to sit and sink at your feet. I pray that we would be intentional with these moments and intentional with this time that we would seek you with all of our heart, that we would listen to you, that we would ask you questions, but that we would learn from you, that we would learn how to live a life that pleases and honors you. God, would you speak to our hearts here and now? Would you help our thoughts be fixed and focused on you once again? That those questions we ask, would, would we be quiet enough and still enough to listen to your responses through your Holy Spirit? Because at the end of the day, it has to do with our hearts. May our hearts be yours. So Jesus, in this moment, we give you our hearts as we sit and sink at your feet. In your name, amen.